0: Scott Seidenberg
1: on v the Sports Betting Network. Back here on The Look Ahead, I'm Scott Seidenberg here on v the Sports Betting Network. Always on Twitter at Scott's On Air, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. What a uh, weekend it was in Major League Baseball. Concluded with Sunday Night Baseball, the Yankees and the Red Sox playing a game in two hours and fifteen minutes, where the Red Sox beat the Yankees three-nothing. And the Bronx bombers are really, really struggling right now. Since the All-Star Break, the Yankees, I believe, are what is it, eight and fifteen? Something like that. It is a very bad record. Yeah, 8-15 and 15 since the All-Star break. That's just not winning baseball. And if you look at the Yankees' schedule, of those eight wins in the second half of the season, three of them were against Kansas City. Two of them were against the Orioles. And yeah, not too shabby against the Orioles. They had one win, uh, two wins against Seattle. And one win here against the Red Sox. They have uh they're two and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They're three and eleven in their last fourteen games. Yet this team continues to go out and be favorites night in and night out. And here on Monday, they will be favored once again when Garrett Cole takes the mound against. An unknown pitcher. <laughs> we don't know who's going to start for the Tampa Bay Rays. Speaking of the Rays, uh, Drew Rasmussen had a perfect game going into the ninth inning against the Orioles. And on the first pitch of the ninth inning, it's the, the final three outs are always the hardest to get, right? On the first pitch of the ninth inning, he gives up a double. Uh, Jorge Mateo gets the double down the left field line. And uh, Mateo um, scored on a wild pitch. Final score of the game, uh, the Rays win 4-1. to one. Still a tremendous pitching performance. People were speculating this could have been one of the lowest pitch counts in a perfect game or no-hitter because he had gone into the ninth. I want to say it was like 76 or 70, yeah, 76, 79 pitches, something like that. Going into the ninth inning. So imagine he got out of that, you know, inning unscathed. Uh, It would have been really something. He threw 87 pitches total in the game. Uh, Eight and one-thirds innings pitched with the one hit, one run, no walks, seven strikeouts. So the Rays have not announced a starting pitcher yet for this game coming up here on Monday at the Trop what we do know is what is scheduled and and this could all change but the schedule of pitchers for their next, you know, several starts throughout the rotation uh throughout the rotation it's going to be Jeffrey Springs on Tuesday, Corey Kluber on Wednesday, Shane McClanahan on Thursday And then Rasmussen will start again on Friday. So if you're just looking at like the last time that um, they, you know, went through this rotation, what it could mean if, uh, let me just go back. I mean, let's see, You could have, could just do an opener. This could be a bullpen day. It could be it could be Yacobonis, Ryan Yarborough. That could be the type of, of game that we're getting here from the Tampa Rays. Uh for Jimmy bonus the last time he pitched was on Saturday he threw an inning. So he threw uh, he threw Friday and Saturday. Do they want him to throw one inning and open this game here on uh Monday Probably not. So maybe maybe it is Ryan Yarbrough. I don't know. I'm curious. I'm just as curious as the next guy because I want to know what the odds are going to be on this game. I think the Rays could actually be a play. You know, we talk about fading the teams coming off of Sunday Night Baseball all the time. Now, the one benefit, I guess, that you can say the Yankees um, had is that the game was so quick. They didn't do anything. The Yankees had two hits. They had two hits. The game lasted two hours and 15 minutes. Then they hop on their flight and go from Boston down to Tampa. It's not a difficult travel. And we all know, you know, the Yankees in Tampa, it's their second home, right? That's like the, you know, the their home away from home because that's where their spring training site is and all that stuff. And it's always Yankee fans down at the Trop, so comfortable playing there. Um, this season, let's see if we have uh, what they have done this season. Haven't played Tampa since, let's see, in the first half. They went 1-2, 2-2 two, two two in their first series in Tampa. And then two and one in their second series in Tampa. So four and three in the seven games in Tampa so far this season for the Yankees. Garrett Cole on the Hill is going to command the high price with the Yankees being eight and fifteen since the All-Star break. Three and eleven in their last fourteen starts. And fading the team coming off of Sunday night baseball, perhaps. The Tampa Bay Rays are worth a look. And it's it's hard to say that because we don't know who their starting pitcher is. I just assume it's gonna be a bullpen day. And for a Yankee team that managed only two hits here on Sunday night and the lineup, I don't know if it's getting healthier, if they're gonna get Giancarlo Stanton back. You know, you had Andrew Binintendi lead off. They're without DJ LeMayhew now. Uh, so, a little banged up here, the New York Yankees. Um, Padres took care of business here on Sunday after a tough loss on Saturday. Their award now is they will go from D.C. to Miami to take on the Marlins. And the Marlins will throw the National League favorite to win the Cy Young Award in Sandy Alcantara. Alcantara 10-5 and five this year with a 2.01 ERA, and he is such an overwhelming favorite right now. If you look at the numbers, Sandy is minus 260 to win the National League Cy Young. The next favorite is Max Fried, who's at plus 850. Now, these numbers don't make sense at all. Um... But Alcantara's numbers this season, he's got a 2.01 ERA, a 2.84 FIP. Uh, He has struck out now. Let's see. I mean, his numbers are just, he's so good. Alcantara's got 145 strikeouts this year. I mean, he's pitching to a .95 whip. 145 strikeouts, 166 innings pitched. He's allowed 116 hits, 44 runs, 37 of them earned. He's walked 41 batters. Again, the numbers speak for themselves. But, you know, I know that uh, our very own Jason Weingarten came on this show and mentioned Edwin Diaz. I think Diaz, I mean, you look at that guy's numbers, and they're out of this world. It's just so hard for a relief pitcher to win this award, because a relief pitcher hasn't won this award since Eric Gagne was a, a, a superhuman. I mean, literally, he was taking steroids. But Edwin Diaz is pitching to a one three three ERA, a .92 WHIP. He's got a fifty two point two percent strikeout percentage. That means he's striking out more than half the batters that he faces this season. If you, I mean, it's 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 almost comical these numbers. He struck out ninety four batters in forty seven innings. He's allowed twenty seven hits, seven earned runs in forty seven and a third innings. I mean, these this is, these numbers are unreal. But as the analytics people will always tell you and you're looking at um, the the war stats, well, Sandy's at like a 4.4, and Edwin Diaz is only at a 2.3. And why is that? Well, when you have a starting pitcher that oftentimes goes <laughs> nine innings, uh, you're going to get a guy that has a much higher war. Actually, Sandy's at a 6.2 war right now. Aaron Nola is the next highest at 4.8, then Max Freed at 4.6. So you look at the he is uh, Alcantara is the major league. He is sixth in major leagues in WHIP, in strikeouts per nine. He is oh he's not that high up here in strike Ks per nine. Um, strikeouts overall he's ninth overall. Innings pitched he's number one. So, you know, he's going complete games. Said 17 quality starts. That's good for second in Major League Baseball. And, yeah, I mean, the complete games. I mean, no one else is, is doing what he's doing when it comes to finishing out these games this year. I'm Scott Satterberg. You can hit me up on Twitter at Scott's On Air, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. We'll check in with our friend Mark Zino coming up next Right here on the look ahead on VCN, the Sports Betting
0: Network. This is the look ahead
1: on VCN, the Sports Betting Network. Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit vSIN.com to check the current betting splits data. Wanna know where the money and bets are moving every game? The betting splits page is updated every 10 minutes, so
0: you can see changes.
1: Changes in all the action. Find out where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. You can check out not just today's action but future events as well. Betting splits are another way. VSIN is here to make you a smarter, better year round. Check out today's betting splits for every game at VSIN.com. Back here on the look ahead, here on VSIN, the sports betting network. Joining me now is Mark Zinno. And Mark, let's talk preseason football what's your take on all of the overs that we have seen here so far in the NFL preseason
2: uh just coincidence at this point in time I mean look it's a shorter preseason right this is the second year we've had the three preseason games so coaches are just starting to adjust um and I think what you're starting to see is a little more urgency from second teamers realizing that you know or guys trying to make the roster hey I don't have as many opportunities to show out in game film what I can really do. Guys are probably trying a little bit harder, but you know, with the randomness of the preseason, it just feels like it's a lot more coincidence. Take, for example, this game coming up between Chicago and Seattle with a total of 39 and a half. The unders screamed to me. Now, if you look at the first game that both of these teams played in, the Bears okay, uh, did not score in the first quarter when their ones were in and they scored 10 points in the second quarter. Score. They scored two—I'm two, uh, sorry, this is the Seahawks, rather. Scored 10 points in the second order and scored, and scored garbage touchdowns with Drew Locke on the back end to end up with 25 points. Chicago didn't score any points in the first half against Kansas City. So when the starters are theoretically going to play longer in this game, because this is the true test that this is supposed to be the third preseason game. Now it's the second one where starters are going to play longer. That says to me I got two really bad offenses playing longer against number ones on defense— which doesn't look like it adds up to a lot of points to me. The variance which you can't eliminate here is you've got a quarterback battle going on in Seattle. So both of those guys are going to be playing their tails off for every single snap that they're in there because they want to show the coach that, hey, I should be the starter. And that may add up to more points later on in the game when the reserves are in. But still, 20 points from each of those teams, each of those offenses playing at least a half feels like a lot right now.
1: Yeah, and I think maybe here you're taking advantage of the book's maybe over-adjusting to what we have seen so far because they posted the totals on these games way too low, and they got hammered. I mean, yeah. we saw the adjustment just on this last game here on Sunday night with, uh, with the Raiders where it was 35 and got pushed all the way up to 39. So for the fact that we're going to see now 39s, maybe 39 and a half or 40s be posted, perhaps you're right. It's time to take a look at an under.
2: Yeah, and again, with the starters playing a little bit longer, in theory, now this isn't everybody. You still got to wait until you get closer to kickoff to figure out who's going to be playing, how much they're going to be playing. Is anybody to be held out last minute because of a possible injury or a tweak of uh, whatever in practice, and how much is that going to affect it? But I just looked at that game. That was one of the early lines that I saw. I got two bad offenses with sketchy quarterback play all around. It doesn't necessarily lead me to believe that a lot of points can be scored.
1: All right, I'm going to give you Geno Smith or Drew Locke. Who is starting week one for the Seahawks?
2: I mean, if Pete Carroll doesn't choose Drew Locke, I'm not really sure how much longer he wants to coach. I mean, mm. the more the upside is with Drew Locke. Uh, he's got a better arm. I mean, clearly he's a little bit, I would say, more polished with the modern NFL and the way they throw the ball down the field a lot more. But, you know, Geno Smith's ceiling, I think we've seen. Have we ever really seen Drew Locke's ceiling yet? You could argue yes, and I think that's fair. But I just think he has higher upside. If you want to try to win in today's NFL, you gotta throw the ball down the field. That's proven in statistics and metrics and even the analytic nerds got into that, all that stuff. But still, Locke is the better deep arm quarterback. So I would if I'm Pete Carroll, I'm leaning on
1: him. You could get two to one right now offshore on Drew Drew Locke to start at week one for the Seahawks. Let me let's go Steelers. Mitchell Trubisky or Kenny Pickett?
2: I mean, how in the world are they really going to not start Kenny Pickett at this point? I, I don't I agree
1: any- with you. The kid looked good too, but also <laughs> it's like, what are you trying to do? Like nowadays, I understand like the old the old way of thinking was let a quarterback sit, you let him learn, you groom him for a couple of years. Uh- but now we're seeing that the timetable is shortened so much. Because you got to decide if you're going to pick up the, the option uh, after a couple of seasons, that you got to throw them out to the fire and
2: see what you have and let them learn on the fly. One hundred percent. Now you can argue it with third and fourth round quarterbacks; those guys can sit. First round quarterbacks don't sit. Yeah, there's no reason to. You invested the capital in the guy because you believed he was good enough to be a starter in the NFL. You got to throw him to the wolves. And at the end of the day, Joe Burrow kind of ruined it for everybody. And the reason <laughs> I say that is because Cincinnati had no offensive line. They had no real receivers to speak of, except a banged up AJ Green. It was it T Higgins or Tyler Board? I forget who it was that he had. Beyond that, he went out there and made that team competitive. It's not about winning games when you're starting a rookie quarterback. It's about being competitive and staying in games. And he proved he can do that. That's all you're asking for from a rookie. If you get more than that, great. But if you don't, you at least you know you got a quote gamer and a guy that you can give the ball to. And you start adding more pieces around him. And trust me, the Steelers have plenty of pieces around Kenny Pickett. like Mitchell Trubisky, at this point in his career, will take any contract to stay on a team in the NFL and be a backup. So if Kenny Pickett doesn't work out, guess what? Mitchell Trubisky goes, well, it's going to fall on my lap. I'll play the last eight games and try to win a starting job there. And that's fine. He's happy with that. But with Kenny Pickett, you got to find out what you have, especially with the quarterback-rich draft that everybody is alluding to happening this next draft. All those guys are going to be available for you in the first round. I mean, you got to know right now if the guy you drafted is it.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Uh plus 550 offshore on Kenny Pickett to start week 1 for awesome. the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, one more quarterback battle. Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold in Carolina.
2: Can I go with option C? Is, there, is <laughs> uh Matt Corral? Right? <laughs> Why not? I mean, again, another guy find out what the hell you got, right? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, It's going to be hard right now for Sam Darnold to win this job back. Um, That's the problem. It's not really an even, they're not starting from an even standpoint. Baker Mayfield only lost his job because a better quarterback became available. I think they were done with him and they weren't going to pick up his option. But if they didn't have another option, Baker Mayfield is not being benched over Jacoby Brissett. Like that's just not happening. Because somebody else became available, Baker Mayfield got shipped off. So Baker didn't lose his starting job necessarily. Uh, He didn't play great, but there's a lot of reasons you could speculate why he didn't play great. That said, we've seen Sam Donald have two opportunities at starting jobs right now, both of them on bad teams, and he didn't really show that he can be competitive like we just talked about.
1: Did Sam Howell do enough in week one of the preseason to at least make
2: Carson Wentz sweat a little bit at some point this season? listen, if Carson Wentz is sweating at this point in his career, it's because he's got a medical condition. Uh, I don't know that Carson Wentz has anything to worry about. Because he's been shipped off from two different organizations doesn't mean that he's not talented enough to play. It just means in both cases, they found somebody better. And I don't know that Sam Howell at this point is better than Carson Wentz. Anything you're betting on the Washington Commanders isn't about the offense. It's only about the defense. Two years ago, when they made the playoffs with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke. Mm-hmm. They did it because their defense was a top-five defense. They got after the quarterback. They were relentless on that side of the ball, and it turned them into a competitive football team where they could win plays, win games rather with mediocre quarterback play. I don't believe Carson Wentz is a mediocre quarterback. i got a soft spot for a kid with that kind of talent. I mean, I just do. Like, I, I can't not fall in love with his talent. Red hair I can kind of get past, but, you know, the talent <laughs> from a football standpoint, I love for Carson Wentz. That said, he doesn't have to be great. He can do what he did last year in Indianapolis, which, oh, by the way, when you look at the numbers, was not bad. What do he throw? Seven picks last year, 27 touchdowns, almost 35, 3,800 yards, whatever. I mean, that's a good year for a quarterback. If Washington fixes the defense, they can win that division.
1: Well, a different team has won that division every year since 04, so yeah. I, I, I know it's not going to be the Cowboys, but likely the Eagles. We'll see if somebody else like the Giants or the Commanders can step up at pretty long odds. Uh, one more NFL thought, which second year quarterback has the better year this year. I think we could take Zach Wilson out. Cause we know he's going to miss at least four weeks of time. So Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Davis Mills,
2: Davis Mills. That's the guy. Like it, here's the thing. This is crazy with Davis Mills. If you look at his yardage prop for the year, it's around 3,700 yards. Now off the top of your head, you go, that's insane. How is he going to throw for those kind of yards? Who is he throwing the ball to? well, He's throwing the ball uh, to a very good receiver, Uh, but a guy who's also hurt all the time. You know his name, don't you? Brandon Cooks. There you go. That's the guy. Now, Brandon Cooks yardage prop, this is even crazier. Brandon Cooks yardage prop this year, I think, is right over 1,000 yards. So explain to me the math of this whole thing. If Brandon Cooks, who had 800 yards receiving last year in like third, I think they only played 11 games together last year due to injuries and everything else. So if he got 800 yards in 11 games, if he plays all 17, Not only is Brandon Cooks going to clear that 1,000 yards, but Davis Mills should easily go over his yardage prop. This is the guy to bet on. He's going to have a scary good year. Out of all these second-year quarterbacks, nobody's expecting anything of him. My only concern, really, is that Lovey Smith is the head coach, Mm. and you don't have a seasoned offensive coordinator. This is not a coach who says, okay, let's throw the ball 40 times a game, because if they did— he could have a Blake Bortles-type year in Jacksonville, where he threw for 5,000 yards on a team that went 6-10.
1: Wow, that's a really interesting point. No one talking about Davis Mills at all besides his really long neck. Mark, hang with me. Let's get into some college football. I know you got a Week 0 play I want to touch on coming up next right here on The Look Ahead here on VC. VCN, the Sports Betting Network. Ice cold beers, cold hard cash. Join the action on the pitch with the Heineken 2022 Soccer Prediction Challenge. Compete in 20 free-to-play pools this season for your shot at a share of $100,000 in total cash prizes. Head to DraftKings.com slash Heineken now to start your run at Victory Heineken. Beer made better. 21 and over only. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Please drink responsibly. Scott Seidenberg back here with you. This is The Look Ahead here on VCN, the Sports Betting Network, rejoined by Mark Zino. And Mark, let's talk a little college football. Uh, last hour, I was joined by Dwayne Colucci, the Sportsbook Director over at the Rampart. And the Rampart and South Point have a four-way proposition that they offer. And I don't know if you've seen this on on Twitter yet, but the four-way proposition is they give you different groupings of college teams, and it's their odds if one of them wins the national championship. So group one, Alabama, Notre Dame, Utah, and Texas. Group two, Ohio State, Clemson, Oregon, Texas A&M. Group three, Georgia, USC, Oklahoma, and Michigan, and then you have the field option which would you place your faith in?
2: Well, uh, listen, not that I need to tell everybody that bookmakers are smart, but in each one, they've basically given you two that literally can't win it. Um, and Notre, in the first grouping, Notre Dame and Texas are out. Um, they're not winning it, okay? So you're looking at Alabama and Utah. In group two, guess what? Oregon and A&M, they're not winning it. So from that standpoint, you know, you're cutting your options in half. Now, the third one is interesting because Georgia is really the only legitimate one. You got USC is going to be a public play. Oklahoma feels like they're going to win the Big 12 again. But I don't know with a new head coach and a new quarterback and everything else. And there's literally next to no chance Michigan repeats what they did last year and beats Ohio State again. So um, I am I, I, I look probably the one I would go with is Ohio State and Clemson. Why? Because I feel like those two teams definitively can be in the college football playoff. I don't know that Utah can make the college football playoff they would need to have a one-loss season and win the Pac-12. And that is up in the air right now. Not definitively, but Oregon and uh, USC could cause them to lose two games and be a two-loss conference winner. And we've never seen a two-loss team make the college football playoff. That said, I just don't think Notre Dame is going to be good enough. I think they'll have some regression this year, so I wouldn't look at them. But Ohio State and Clemson, Clemson's going to have a top-five defense in the nation this year. Ohio State's going to have the best offense in the country. Alabama is Alabama. And so from that standpoint, like if you believe Alabama is going to win it, you take that group. But I would look at Clemson and Ohio State as the group that I would go to. Clemson is going to be severely underrated the first three or four weeks of this season. And he, everybody should hammer them because if they get, and I think they have figured out DJU and, and the quarterback situation, they got a new offensive coordinator. And if they don't, if he fails, Cade Klubnik, one of the top quarterback prospects in the country, the backup there, could be the safety net that they need to elevate it. He's not Trevor Lawrence backfilling Kelly Bryant, but... He's supposed to be really, really good. But Clemson is going to have the easiest path out of any of those teams to the college football playoff. They're going to run through the ACC schedule. They'll likely win 11 games uh, at least and go over their 10 and a half win total. And they're going to get a spot in the college football playoff. That pretty much is the one team I feel like is a lock. And I hate saying that word, but is, is the most likely to make the college football playoff. And once you get there, you get a coin flip game. I'm sorry, you get a, usually a game in the semifinals where one is decidedly better than the other, and then a coin flip game in the national championship. So I'd go with group two.
1: You don't have to sell me on Klubnik because I've been giving him out as my favorite long shot Heisman play at 100-1 to 1 because uh, yeah. I think that if he if DJ struggles in the first couple of weeks of the season, I think that home game against NC State, I believe it is, is their ACC schedule opener. That'll yep. be the first start for Klubnik, and he can go 9 and 0 and lead them to an ACC championship and a college football playoff berth, while also putting up some stats in maybe garbage time in the first three games of the season, and those will be enough numbers to uh, put himself in the Heisman think,
2: race. Let me let me give you one real quick Heisman guy to look at. I think that Cam Rising is this year's Kenny Pickett. Love it. He, he is going to be a guy – I mean, I'm on the on the Cam Rising train, um, just riding this thing. I think he ends up getting an invite when it's all said and done. I don't think he's going to win it because you're going to have to have Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud both have below-average mm-hmm. mm-hmm. years. So it's really if they only had if they only had to leapfrog one, I'd be like, all right. But both of those guys are not going to have average down years, so it's going to be tough. But I think Cam Rising is going to have a phenomenal year at Utah.
1: I'm on Jameer Gibbs, Alabama running back. Uh, I think that if Bryce Young has the season that he has. It's going to also lead to a ton of success for Jameer Gibbs. And, uh, you know, I kind of liken it to the back to back years for Leinert and Reggie Bush. You know, like you could you could look at the, look at Leinert's numbers the year that Reggie Bush won the Heisman. It's like, he, they were almost better than the numbers that when, when Leinert won the year before. So it's like, you could easily, oh, I forgot. Reggie Bush never won the Heisman. We're supposed to, we're supposed to forget about that. Um, but yeah, I look at Jameer Gibbs and I think that, uh, he could ride the Bryce Young uh, wagon here to a dominant season for Alabama.
2: Sure. No, I mean, listen, everybody in Alabama is going to be dominant. I I don't doubt about that, but it's just a question of where voters go and how they look at the whole thing. And remember, it's always better to be, it's always, as far as the Heisman is concerned, be better late than early.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Talk to me about week zero. You have a play on the
2: board already? Already locked it in because the line moved, Uh, And I kind of knew it was going to, but it doesn't scare me. And that's Arkansas laying the seven points at home against Cincinnati. And look, this to me is about pure physics. Go back to the national semifinal. And one of the things I played on the national semifinal is I did this little thing called research and looked at the average weight of the offensive line of Cincinnati compared to the average weight of the defensive line of Alabama. They were giving away about 35 pounds. These are SEC athletes. Sam Pittman, the head coach of Arkansas, made his living off being an in-the-trenches coach. Mm-hmm. And he's got the guys who are going to push Cincinnati around. Look, for the record, this may be the only game Cincinnati loses all year long. But you got to remember, they lost their quarterback. They lost two of their guys in the secondary. They've lost a lot because they were a good team last year. But this is just about pure physicality. And Arkansas is going to eat these guys up, proving once again the difference between power five and group of five schools and why I'll say it again, even though we're you know nine months past when it happened, they don't really belong in the college football playoff.
1: Yeah, well, and and I think that they will be in for a rude awakening once they do go to the Big Twelve, and people will start to realize, you know, it's it's hard to recruit, uh, even though it's such a rich football state. It's not a power program like the other schools in the Power Five conferences, so. or
2: the other schools in the state of Ohio. You know exactly. that exactly. That people always go to.
1: Exactly. So it'll be a little little difficult for them. Uh, anything else on that board early on that intrigues you? You know, for me, I, I, Boston College is a team that made me a lot of money this year. Uh, not this year. In, in the past. Um, I'm a big Phil Jakovic guy. And they're laying seven at home against Rutgers in, in that week zero game. But the loss of their starting left tackle, is I don't know how that's going to affect them. I'd have to like do a little more studying and see how the line looks this season, but I also just know Rutgers from being a Jersey guy, and um, <laughs> to me, it's it, to me, it's going to be BC in this spot.
2: Yeah, well, and I forget the quarterback's name, but he came back late last year and really re- reinvigorated the offense, uh, and that's something that's good, that Boston College may be able to. Phil Jakovic, uh, yeah, Jakovic, the, he, right, the right.
1: former Notre Dame transfer.
2: Right, right. Mm -hmm. That's the guy. Thank you. Uh, You know, laps in my brains late at night here on the East Coast. Um, But still, yeah, I I think he'll reinvigorate the offense. Two other games we're looking at in week one. One's got a lot of eyeballs. The other one, not so much. So one with a lot of eyeballs, I'm back in Utah laying the two in the swamp. I just don't think Billy Napier has the horses at this point in time. Yes, sir. Uh, As much as Anthony Richardson looks like a dynamic and electric quarterback, still think he's figuring a lot of things out. And he's getting a new offense and everything else. I think Florida will struggle early. And I think Napier and the Gators this year are six and six. They're headed They're They're, they're or seven to five. They're headed to the Outback Bowl. You know, I mean, w- w- welcome to uh, SEC country when you're mediocre. So I don't really have a lot of faith in Florida. I've got a ton of faith in Utah, Utah, as I mentioned a moment ago. But here's a real good one for you. The backyard brawl. West Virginia getting six and a half from Pittsburgh. I know the game is in Pittsburgh, but this is essentially going to be a split sort of fan base here Mm -hmm. it'll be mostly pittsburgh but west virginia right there this is a rivalry game it's an old big east game from way back in the day and that said remember who the quarterback of west virginia is this year the guy who went to usc and didn't get a chance there the guy who went to georgia and didn't get a chance there yeah jt daniels is quarterback in the Mountaineers this year. And the one thing that helps him out is he went to a conference where they don't play that thing called defense. So he's <laughs> going to have the field day being able to throw the ball. This is too many points for a Pittsburgh team that lost their quarterback, lost their best wide receiver who went to the transfer portal and is now at USC. Even though Pittsburgh's defense is really what's going to make that team good and competitive again, and I expect them to be good, but this feels like an under-close game that West Virginia hangs in. Might not win it, but six and a half points, way too many.
1: You want to know what's hilarious is the quarterback that will be lining up on the other side of the football uh, is also USC transfer Keaton Slovis, (laughs) starting the the battle of the Trojan castoffs.
2: Castoffs, right,
1: exactly. (laughs) Mark, I appreciate the time and the insight as always. Look forward to catching up with you again. Good luck with your
2: bets. Scotty, you're the best. Thanks. See you soon.
1: There he is, Mark Zinno. Follow him on Twitter, at Mark Zinno, Z-I-N-N-O. Does a great job down there in Atlanta. And always love talking football with Mark. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at Scott'sOnAir, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. We'll get into plenty more football coming up a little bit later on with Frank Schwab from Yahoo. We'll join me. We'll get back into the NFL preseason, little college football nuggets as well. This is the look ahead right here on v the Sports Betting Network.
0: Today. This is the look ahead on VSIN,
1: the sports betting network. The College Football Guide is out now. Start your football season on the right foot with expert profiles of all 131 teams, including team trends, power ratings, and over under recommendations. Plus, our best season win total bets, Heisman hopefuls, and playoff predictions. The only way to get access to this year's football betting guide is to become a VSIN All Access subscriber. Sign up for VSIN All Access today and get everything we offer for the entire football season, including our upcoming pro football betting guide. Subscribe now at slash subscribe. Scott Seidenberg back here with you. It's the look ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network. And uh, I'm upset with myself right now. I just found out and I, I didn't know. I didn't know that they restarted the World Junior Hockey Championship. And some books don't have odds on this. Some do. You can find a book that has World Juniors. DraftKings Sportsbook has it. Um, You can make so much money on this. And in the past, I have crushed the World Juniors because it's a talent mismatch. You can look at the rosters and you can see which teams have, you know, uh, have hockey talent? Like, which teams have players that are drafted? Players that are, you know, going to be eventually playing in the major leagues. Um, And then you can, you know, look at the other rosters, not major leagues, the NHL, and you can see um, the talent mismatch between these teams now the world juniors is uh, 20 and under right but a lot of these kids are future NHL stars and look no further than some of the past you know guys that have won you know whether it's uh, the likes of like Trevor Zegris and and some of these young players in the NHL that are 21 22 they're the world juniors a couple of years ago anyway uh, I'm just looking at the games here and usually you're going to get high spreads. Like, look, look, on, on DraftKings right now, we got games starting here. At uh, um, We got Switzerland is minus two and a half goals. Uh, Canada is only minus one and a half against Finland. And Sweden minus three and a half goals against Germany. And the talent mismatch on some of these teams is ridiculous. Like, look at the scores. USA, which is clearly always going to be a talent favorite over m- many teams. Uh, they won five to one a couple of days ago, then seven to one, and then seven nothing. So essentially, they've covered the spread in every game, and they're up two nothing right now against uh, Sweden, going to the third period. Just giving money away here. Well, I'm not giving money, but I'm not taking money. So let's uh, let's try and handicap this. Let's see a little bit. Okay, so we got Canada against Finland. And Canada minus a goal and a half is even money. Let's see what we got. Canada, Finland. All right. Canada played. Let's see. They played Latvia. They won 5-2. They played Slovakia and won 11-1. And then they played the Czech Republic and they won 5-1. So no one's really come close to Canada. Uh, Finland, meanwhile... They won 6-1 over Latvia, so by comparison, Canada won 5-2. They won 6-1. Another Finland game, 4-3 over the Czech Republic, so a much closer game than Canada's uh, 5-1 win over the Czech Republic. And then their third game, Finland, a 9-3 win over Slovakia. That was the team that uh, Canada won 11-1 against. So, honestly, Canada minus a goal and a half is the play here. That game's gonna be six o'clock Eastern time. It is in Canada. It's in Edmonton. I'm I would ride the Canadians minus a goal and a half here in this game. Up on the DraftKings Sportsbook, even money right now over Finland. That's the play. Anything else here for uh tomorrow? Germany and Sweden. Wow, Germany. No, Sweden is minus three and a half. That is wild. Although. You know, I don't know if I like this second night of a back-to-back for Sweden because Sweden's playing the United States right now, and they're going to have to play on Monday night minus three and a half goals. I don't know. The only thing though is that it could be a, uh, a ch- it could mean a chance to get into The quarterfinals. That's the only thing right now. Like If I look at the groups. So here's the games. I'd like to see the table here. If I can get the table. Uh, No table. So here we go. Quarterfinal action starts on the 17th. 17th will be all the quarterfinal games. Semifinals on the 19th. And then the 20th, you will have the championship game at Rogers Place in Edmonton, where all the games are being played. So let's keep an eye on this. Let's try and make some money here. Here's the standings right now. Uh, in Group A, Canada is in first place, 3-0. And in Group B, the United States in first place, they're 3-0. So U.S. playing Sweden right now, looking to go 4-0 and clinch first place in the group. And uh, you'll have um, Sweden playing another game against Germany. Canada Their next game looks like it's going to be against Finland on the 15th. No line on that game, just, oh, that's the game we're talking about. That's the game we talk about tomorrow. Canada minus a goal and a half. Yeah, we like that. We like Canada. They have, yeah, they need that game too because Finland is one point behind them in the standings. Canada's got nine points in the group. Finland's got eight points in the group. So Canada can secure first place in the group with a win over Finland. Finland, uh, two wins, including an overtime win, and they have eight points. Canada's got nine points with a 3-0, and all three wins in regulation, and that's where we are here. So, bet you didn't think we'd be handicapping World Junior Hockey here tonight on the look ahead, but that's exactly what you got, because this is a money-making event, and I'm just kicking myself that I've missed... 3 games already for team USA and 3 games already for Canada that I could and 3 games for Finland that I, that I, and Sweden that I could have been betting on and cashing in because this is this is a beatable market when you look at these games complete roster mismatches uh in terms of the the roster here let's just see real quick um world junior roster all right I want to see something real quick. We got eligible, eligible. All right, defensemen, we have one, two. All right, every player on Team USA has either been drafted already or is draft eligible in 2023. And it's going to be the same thing for Canada. Whereas you can look at some of these other rosters that don't have NHL talent. Yeah, they might play in some great European leagues, but if they were great European players, they would get drafted into the NHL. And a lot of these teams don't have the same caliber of talent at the under-20 level that we have here in the United States and certainly in Canada. So one play for the World Junior Championship coming up on Monday. Canada minus a goal and a half at even money. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at Scott's On Air, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. Our boy Will Zalatoris finally won a golf event. Congratulations. He wins his first PGA Tour event as um, he had the most money and the highest world ranking of anybody without a PGA Tour win. And how many times have we bet on this kid? And it's been always a bridesmaid, never a bride, as he loses in a playoff multiple times this year. Well, he goes to a playoff here again at the St. Jude Championship, and he finally gets the victory. Of course, I didn't bet it. I'll have to have a conversation with uh, you know our very own Matt Humans to see if he bet it. I know our very own Wes Reynolds did have it on his card so Willie Z does come through for him. But no, I, I did not bet it. I'm not going to sit here and claim that I did. And now I'm going to regret it because I have the major FOMO because everybody else cashed on Will Zalatoris, Although his numbers were not getting as like high as they once were. I think he went off at, what was it, 25 to 1, I think, at the most was what Willie Z was at. So not exactly the... Um, Incredible long shot that he used to be, but still would have been nice to uh, cash in on that. And I did not. But congratulations to Willie Z. And congratulations to anybody who held a Zalatoris outright ticket for outlasting and winning in the playoff with uh, incredible luck as the ball did not go into the drink and instead stayed on the stone. I'm Scott Sidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at scottsonair, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. This is The Look Ahead here on v Sin the sports betting network.